Okay, what's up everybody? Welcome back to episode two of Dad Hair Day. I am Matt Fugit, the host of the show. And today I thought I would talk about some of my firsts. And no, I don't mean like when I lost my virginity or when I had my first beer, but um, some of my career firsts and some, um, some things that were like my milestones and fun little things like that to bring you along on my story. I know in the last episode I touched on yo, I flip my car and then like, boom, I'm in New York doing hair. And I think there were a couple little things in between that that I would love to um, share with you guys and also maybe um, like eliminate that fog of war of like how do you get from a really small town outside of Seattle to follow a dream and then, you know, end up in a city like New York. And so, um, yeah, so I mean, first things first. The first thing I had to do was have a first client and I'll never forget my very first client. And it came very rapidly after I wrecked my car. So that was in mid-June, late June of 2002, my graduating year of high school. And I remember being like, okay, if I'm going to do hair, I'm going to grip it and rip it. It's going to be no holds barred. And um, I need to figure out how to fucking make this happen. So the first thing I did was I had to find a place to work or find out if it was even a career possibility or if this was just something that was um that was a um, unobtainable goal and so I went into the I went to my cousin's hair salon that salon was called Salon Benjamin at the time and that was also my first hair salon but that was a salon I grew up um you know always going to my mom would always get her hair done there as well as um as well as I ended up going there because that's where Janae worked and I went and got my hair done by Janae um, but the owner of that salon was a guy by the name of Brian and Brian was kind of like a superhero in my, um, in my hair world. He was the first, first original Jedi. He was like my Obi-Wan and the stories of Brian when I was younger, um, came in twofold. So back in the early 1990s, when everybody wanted that Rachel haircut, that Jennifer Aniston haircut, um, my sister wanted it and my mother was not going to take her into federal way Which is a long drive and go have her get her, you know, my my sister Jamie wasn't going to get the haircut From my mother's salon So we went to like one of our little salons in our little hometown and I don't remember what really happened I was really young. I was in the backseat playing with action figures, but I just remember Jamie crying and crying so hard and just like her little world was crushed and something had happened to her hair and at that point i don't know what it was but i knew what the remedy was because all i heard my mom saying was brian 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 i'll take her to brian brian will fix this brian will brian will save the day so that was my first time i ever learned about this guy named brian and um so jamie went in we went in we took jamie to brian brian saved my little sister gave her an amazing haircut my sister ended up looking like Jennifer Aniston, as one does. And, um, and so I was like, you know what? If I am going to go learn hair from somebody, I want to learn from this infamous Brian. So I go into the hair salon where Janae works. I had known Brian, like, you know, he worked in the salon. It wasn't a, it wasn't a mega salon. It was small enough to know, like, everyone that worked there. And Brian did my mom's hair, so I sort of knew him through that. And he was like a bro. So, you know, like, anyway... I went in, started talking with Brian, and I said, yo, man, I'm thinking about doing hair. And he said, okay. And I went, you know, I think it could be an amazing career. It looks like you're having a great time. It looks like the guys that all work here are just killing it. And um, 
you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. Is it something I should do? Because right now I'm supposed to be going to college and, you know, my whole life has been flipped upside down. And Brian gave me the best advice that I think I've ever gotten. And he said, you know, America and, the, and this whole world we live in is so based on, um, you know, like bullet points. Like he goes, so many people value their life by all of their bullet points and their resumes all start looking the exact same where it's, where it's like, you go to high school, you graduate high school, you go to college, you graduate college, you get your first job, you then, you know, then you get married, then you have kids and you buy a house and yada, 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 yada. And he said, you know, dude, if one of your bullet points happens to be went to beauty school for a month, hated it, went to college, your life path is not going to be thrown off. It's not going to be a significant change. But what you'll know is that you went for something. And even if you didn't like doing it or if it failed, at least you went for it. And, you're, and you'll never have that regret. And you'll never have that not knowing of, of not following or pursuing a dream or a possibility. And so I went, yeah, fuck, man, you're right. I'm going to go to beauty school. So like, why not? If I go to beauty school for three months and hate it, I'll go to UW in the, in the spring instead of UW in the fall or whatever. And that, was, uh, and that was that. So Brian also said, you know, you can also have a place to work. I need a new apprentice. Um, he had just had a hairstylist move on and move to a different salon. So there was a chair open and all of a sudden the, um, the gates kind of opened for me. And I was, and I was like, really, dude, you're going to train me? Like you would, you would really train me? And he's like, hell yes, I'll train you. I think that's amazing. I think it's fantastic that the, um, you know, the little, the little boy from Enumclaw wants to spread his wings a little bit and come, uh, come see what's going on with the big boys here in the city. And I thought that was funny because we weren't even in Seattle. We were in Federal Way, which is like a small little town in between Seattle and Enumclaw. But nonetheless, it was a bigger, bigger area. But um, so, yeah, Brian gave me that, that trampoline and that um, the springboard. So he was like, boom, you got a place to, you got a place to work. I, I will train you. I'll make you kick ass like Janae. Janae's kicking ass. You know, all the guys that work in here kick ass. And he was like, it's what I do. I make dudes that kick ass. And I felt like a young Jedi. I felt like little Anakin Skywalker. And I was like, sweet. And so he gave me, um, he gave me a lightsaber. No, he didn't give me a lightsaber. He gave me a comb. And he said, here's your comb. This is your first comb. I want you to never let this out of your hand. And I want you to spin this comb in your hand over and over and over and over. And at that time, I was working for my dad at the car dealership. And I was driving um, parts around. So I was like taking car parts from one dealership to another, to another, you know, it's like they, um, that was my job that summer. So while I was driving, I always spun this comb in my hand all day long, spin, 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 spin this comb. And Brian was like, once you're ready to go to school, you know, I'll start training you. But until that time, I, all I want you to do is spin this comb. He's like, I don't want you doing anything else. And, um, and, um, no, actually, I'm sorry, back to my first client. So my first client, he goes, you know, why don't you um, before you even want to go to beauty school, why don't you sorry, come play with some girl's hair? And I went, oh. And he goes, yeah, bring one of your friends, some girl from school, bring her into the salon and just like color her hair and see what it's like to actually have your hands in another human being's hair, um, like playing with it and seeing like, you know, he's, he's like, he's, you may instantly be turned off. So before we even had that conversation, I reached out to my friend Jenna well, I actually reached out to a few different girls, but let's face it, they're seniors in high school and like none of them just want some random dude, some random bro to be like, yo, I want to do your hair. Like, obviously that's a red flag. 
And, um, but Jenna was super fearless. And I remember her being like, dude, if you want to like put some foils in my hair, that would be really cool. And for those of you at home that don't know, that is like a highlighting technique is when you separate the hair with aluminum foil and then you put bleach on the aluminum foil with the hair in between it. And then that creates highlights. And it's a way of um, organizing your sections and being able to, to like um, pinpoint accuracy your, your hair color. Um, so anyway, Jenna was like, dude, I'm so down. So that next week after I flip my car, contact Jenna. Jenna's like, let's do some hair. I go up to Brian's place again and he sets me up with my little chair. It was so cool. We like, you know, I got my hair chair and he pulls over my little station. He gets my foils and my clips and he gets me a little bit of bleach. And he's like, I, right, this is what you do. So you like <laughs> section the hair and you do this little weave thing. And then you put the hair in the packet and then you put the bleach in the packet and then you fold up the packet. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I think I might just go to college. This shit's fucking hard, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. This is, this is a little too much for me. Oh, excuse me. Um, and so as I sip my coffee there. So I was already like, ooh, this is harder than any of the shit I had to do in high school. I'd rather go back and write an essay. So I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out her hair and section it and put it in the foil packet and Felt like a scene from, felt, I mean, I felt like a, like a scene from Silence of the Lambs. I was like, it puts the bleach on the skin or it puts the lotion in the basket or whatever. And I was so lost, but I loved doing it. And like interacting with her and just talking with her was really cool. And it was just like this experience of like doing something for someone else that I knew was going to make her feel really pretty. And... Um, so I'm trying to figure this out. And of course, my ass, oblivious to all world, space, time, continuum, everything, forgot that that night was also my varsity baseball awards ceremony. So it was like basically like, you know, your end of the year party for the baseball team. And so I got like maybe three or four of these little foil packet things put in her hair and was like, all right, peace. I got to go. I got to, you know, go back to Enumclaw and uh, go hang out and go eat some cake with my, with my, you know, baseball team. And... <laughs> And so she's like, well, what's going to happen with my hair? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I imagine Brian or one of these other stylists will probably fix it. And thank God for the other stylist there, Bryson, who's still one of my best friends. So there's Brian and Bryson. I'm not like just starting to lisp. But um, Bryson said he would finish her hair. He's like, dude, I'll finish her foils. Don't worry about it. And um, so I didn't actually get to see my first finished like hairstyle because I had to leave. So I bail like a loser go back in, hang out at uh, the baseball party. And it, and it was like my senior year baseball awards and I should have been so in it. It was like the whole buildup of my life from a little boy playing baseball to like senior year, getting like, you know, your letter and, you know, getting your, all your cool stuff you get, whatever, I don't even know. I know I wasn't MVP, that was my other buddy Joey. But like, you know, it was just supposed to be this amazing time but all I was thinking about was hair. And I was like, God, I wonder how Jenna's hair looks. And oh, like hope I didn't like fry it off in those foil packets or something. But anyway, next day at school when she showed up and her hair was all cool, it like blew the whole, um, it like, I don't know. It, it was this weird thing where I told people I had did her hair and everyone had this weird changing vibe around me. And they're like, what do you mean you did her hair? And that was something that obviously was going to become an ongoing part of my existence was the stereotype of wait, like Matt's doing hair now, like what, like why, what is this, what does this mean? And I remember telling one of my really good friends at school who was already notoriously going to beauty school, she was going to be like the beauty school girl. I was like, yo, Katie, 
I'm gonna come to beauty school with you, I think, in, in like August. And she just laughed. And then I told my other teacher, um, who was my, I was future business leaders of America president. And I had taken like four years of accounting, was supposed to go to UW's business school. And when I told that teacher, I'll never forget Mrs. Patrick, I was like, yo, so I don't think I'm gonna go into business anymore. I think I'm gonna go do hair. And she just laughed so hard because I was, you know, already kind of a prankster. And she thought this was like my senior prank to her. And lo and behold, hey, Miss Patrick, I went and did hair. Hope you're still not mad at me. Um, so that was my first client, Miss Jenna. So I thank you so much, Jenna, for letting me um, play with your hair. And my first salon was Salon Benjamin. And my first, the first person I apprenticed under, and there were a few, was Brian. And Brian was definitely the one that opened up most doors for me. And... Um, you know, he was the one that took the risk and he was the one that really buckled down and trained me and we trained hard, man. It was like, apprenticing was cool. I don't, I don't think anyone apprenticed for apprentices. Apprentice, apprentices? No, apprentices are different. Apprentices for anything else anymore. Obviously I didn't go to college. Um, but I don't think a lot of people apprentice for things. I think we're in a society now that everybody wants things so fast and it's like a, um, it's an overnight success story is what everybody wants to hear. No one wants to hear about the grueling hours that you spent, you know, sweeping hair or playing with mannequin heads or, you know, drawing like haircuts on pieces of paper before you had to even cut them. But, you know, that's what me and Brian did a lot of. And also what was really cool is Brian, I thought, not only did he, did he train me like a Jedi, but he thought he trained me like Mr. Miyagi because after we, we, we would be done in the salon, he would then make me go to his house and A, either babysit his kids who were crazy little fucks, Ryan and Roby, so I either had to babysit them, and he said, it's going to teach you birth control. <laughs> and then, or we would, he was a huge fisherman, and so he, would, he taught me how to tie flies, and he got me into fly fishing. And he said, with my big ass, you know, man baseball hands, if I wasn't able to control little tiny pieces of yarn and twine and, you know, little feathers and be able to really artistically create things around a tiny microscopic hook while we're looking through them through a um, magnifying glass. He's like, there's no way you're gonna be able to do braids for extensions and do awesome fucking updos and be able to do editorial hairstyling because your big fat hands are gonna get in the way. So I'm going to rid you of that excuse right now and you're gonna learn how to work with your hands before you even get your hands too deep into the hair, um, into the hair world. So that was really cool. So he, he taught me other things that then um, came full circle back into my hair world, which is very much Karate Kid, like, you know, when he was like wax on, wax off. Um, but yeah, man, Brian, I love you for that. I really appreciated all that, uh, all that time and energy you spent with me. Um, Brian was also then, this takes me to my first time I ever went to New York City. So before I moved to New York, I actually, um, you know, went there to train a lot. And so Brian and his staff, we would all go to New York together and we'd all go learn the new haircuts and we'd all go learn new techniques and trends and um, and just go for inspiration. And my first time there, we went and we did a big class with a woman named Vivian McKender, who still to this day is like, she's like the goddess of hair. She was um, Vidal Sassoon's assistant back in the day. And then she came to America and she won the North American Hairdresser Awards, which is like our Oscars. And she won them four or five years in a row, I believe, and then stopped competing because she just didn't think it was fair. Or maybe that was just, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I said that, but I just thought, felt she's really like, it's not fair that I win this every year. Um, but anyway, she was just the most lovely human being. And so my first time ever in New York, we were doing this class 
and the energy of that city I instantly fell in love with. And I think the mix of being there with my team and like that was my little hair family with Brian and Bryson and, and um, Janae and, and being in New York and hitting the streets and getting my first bagel and like hanging out in the streets of Soho and going up to this loft and then there's all these mannequin heads and I'm learning how to cut hair. And actually at that time, I don't think I got to participate in the class. I believe I was there um, just to observe. But even with observing, Vivian was so kind to like take me under her wing and sort of teach me little things here and there. And um, that's when I was introduced to the razor. And the razor I have tattooed on my arm is actually the razor that she gave me. And it was the first time that I really thought that being an art, this is how you be an artist. When you cut with a razor, you are like, it's just so artistic because of the flow of it. And watching her and how soft and delicate and precise and like the respect she had for this instrument that was so fucking sharp. And like, yeah, I cut myself a million times with scissors. Like you nip your finger or you nip something or, you know, but man, you cut yourself with a razor and you were like, you're in deep shit. Um, but that was my first time in New York. And I, and I guess, I don't really remember, but I guess when I came back, all of my clients and friends, they had all um, told me that I was going to move there. And of course, when you're young and when you're manic, and um, you come back from a city like that. I think everyone says that. I think everyone's like, I'm moving to New York City. And, um, and basically, yeah, so supposedly, I don't really remember this, but I guess it was a big part of, of who I was going to be. And I used to voice that um, a lot to my clients and that, you know, one day I'm going to leave you for New York and all this shit, which isn't probably good for um, client retention, just for you guys wanting to like, you know, think about that for a minute. Maybe don't tell your clients you're going to be like leaving them soon. Okay, so it was at this point where um, I continued talking about my life in the salon, and yet when I went to edit this video, there was a file that was then corrupt, so I lost the middle of this video. So I'm going to talk a little quieter because life on life's terms, Phoenix is in the other room sleeping. And if you guys are watching this on YouTube right now, I apologize for the lighting, but I can't put up the big, um, the big ring light. So, pressing on... Um, Picking up from where I was in the salon with Brian, and uh, he trained me like Mr. Miyagi, I wanted to talk about the first updo that he taught me, and which leads me into the first updo I get to teach you guys at home. So when I was in beauty school, um, I came and I was panicked because I didn't know how to do, didn't know how to do hair, and we were doing updo day, and this was in the early 2000s, and we and it was all about like spiky, messy twisted gross spice girl like think um 10 things i hate about you house party vibes like kind of like gross ratchet hair very like no doubt uh gwen stefani but before her hair was dope when it was just like you know messy grunge kind of vibes and i had no idea how to do that so i went into brian and i was like yo brian save me man and he's like all right i'm gonna teach you teach you an updo and i said oh amazing so here was my jedi moment to learn about the force and he goes, all right, all you need is a bunch of rubber bands. And I went, no, what about all the hairpins and the hairspray? And he goes, no, 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 forget about all that. You need to um, put the girl's hair in a ponytail. And I'm like, okay, ponytail, got it, I can, I can do a ponytail. And he goes, great. So put her hair in a ponytail, put an elastic band, then two inches down, take another elastic band and put her hair and then like secure it again. And I'm like, okay, ponytail, two inches, put another little elastic there, got it. And he goes, then... Take that elastic band and push it up 
towards the um, towards the first ponytail, and it's going to cause that hair in between to bubble up and, and like bump, and it's going to go bloop bloop. And I went uh, okay, and he goes, then you grab another band, and two inches below that last one, you you secure it with another elastic, and then you take it and you push it up, and it goes bloop, and now you've got two little bubbles. Then you take the band again, two inches down, bloop 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 and he's like just keep doing it all the way down until you either run out of hair or you run out of elastics and i'm like sitting there kind of like uh okay bro so then i just got a ponytail with like a bunch of bubbles and he's like yeah you got a really cool bubbled ponytail and i felt so let down because i wanted to learn how to do spiky twisty god-awful gross uh, updos and he taught me how to do a bubbled ponytail so i go back to beauty school Obviously, I didn't do the bubbled ponytail because I was so afraid to be made fun of because I had zero confidence at that time. Uh, still do. But, um, yeah, so I go and I do some ugly, spiky, twisty, hair, overly hairsprayed, god-awful, thousand, every bobby pin I could find in the whole beauty school to try to, like, figure out how to make the hair stay. And, um, and yeah, did some sort of mess. But funny enough, the hairstyle that Brian taught me that day, the bubbled ponytail, I have actually used in editorial styling. I've used on the red carpet. I've used um, for on runway shows for fashion, for fashion week. I've used, um, I think I put it on a musician when she went to the MTV Movie Award or Music Awards. And like, I've used it for weddings because you can take that bubbled ponytail and like wrap it up into a beautiful little, you know, bubbly chignon that looks super chic. Um, I've actually used that one hairstyle so often, or at least some sort of version of it so many times. And I just thought it was great because Brian, the first thing he ever taught me was so timeless and so pretty and so simple. Um, years later, I ended up seeing Jennifer Lopez on the cover of InStyle with that hairstyle. Then I saw just a couple seasons ago on the um, runways and fashion week, it was like a huge style, the big, you know, really cool bubble pony. And it just was one of those things that when I look back at it now, I was like, geez, of course, the thing that Brian taught me, um, which I thought was so dorky, was literally like the coolest thing and I've used ever since. So um, as I was bouncing back and forth from New York and doing these classes with Brian and with Vivian, I met some other hairdressers and some of them lived in New York and had a clientele that was much different than mine. And one of my um, next firsts is the um, first time I ever worked with a celebrity. And so I was in New York, and one of the stylists there was like, yo, one of my clients is doing, um, is doing an event in Seattle, and she needs a hairdresser. So why don't I just like, you know, why don't one of you guys do her hair? So I jumped at it, and I was like, hell yeah, dude, I want to do, do celebrities' hair. So the woman was Sandra Bernhardt, and she's one of the best stand-up comedians um, I've ever seen. And at the time, uh, she, was, she was like touring and doing like this really cool... Um, this really cool, you know, uh, worldwide tour, whatever, nationwide tour. And um, so when the day came, she was coming out on the 13th and 14th of February because I remember it being Valentine's Day. So she was doing this Valentine's Day show in Seattle. And her that hairdresser put me in touch with um, her people. And so I was talking like to her assistant and got all this stuff. And I was so pumped to like be a real hairdresser. And I was going to go into Seattle and, um, do a celebrity. So since I was working at Salon Benjamin at Brian's salon at that time, I had to call my clients let them know what was going on. So I call all my girls and I'm like, Hey, 
I'm going to do, you know, so-and-so Sandra Bernhardt's hair. I'm so excited. And they were crazy excited for me. And, um, and so I had to move my clients on that day, on that Saturday, the 13th. So I had to move my girls. I didn't cancel anyone, but I just moved them because canceling someone before Valentine's Day would be a total dick move. So I was like, I got to go do Sandra's hair from 9 to noon in Seattle. Then I'll come down back to Federal Way and do all my other girls' hair. And so I go up there and I go into Sandra's place and I'm so nervous and I feel like I'm such an imposter. And I, um, I was trying to be like super cool and I knew she was from New York and she's this badass foul mouth comedian. And so I wanted to like get on her level and I kind of wanted to fake, um, I wanted to fake that, like fake some confidence and get her like instantly like, oh yeah, this kid's cool. Cause I was such an idiot. So as I come in to her hotel room, I was like setting up and I go, okay, so I noticed you love to wear your hair really cool, really curly. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I love my curl. I have natural curly hair. Just make it like wicked and cool. And I go, yeah, you definitely don't want it like prom curls though, right? We don't want these curls looking too princessy promy. We want more like fuck me curls, right? And I'll never forget that I said like fuck me curls because I just thought that would be so cool to say. And I was like, yeah, I'm like this young kid and I'm going to show this Sandra Bernhard that I'm foul mouth too. And of course she laughs and she's like, yeah, definitely more like fuck me curls. And she's probably rolling her eyes like, oh, this fucking kid. And so I'm doing her hair. And the problem was I didn't really know how to do like fuck me cool curls at that time. I kind of just knew how to do prom princess curls. So as I'm doing her hair, I'm like, fuck, dude, you just like completely put your foot in your mouth. And I'm now doing princess curls on Sandra Bernhardt. She's going to look like, you know, Shirley Temple instead of Sandra Bernhardt. So she starts directing me and she's on the phone with like her manager and she's like, Hey, curl this piece this way, curl this piece like this. Now just take this one and like wrap it like this and like make this one like kinkier. And, um, and then she's like, she's on the phone with her manager and she goes, yeah, oh no, I'm just talking to my hairdresser. I'm like, I'm teaching this young hairdresser how to do hair. And she winks at me and I was like, oh my God, she totally knows I'm an imposter. And I, I knew at that moment, I'm like, I, I still got so much to learn. And, um, but it was great because it was inspiring to know that she was so cool with like, you know, whatever. And, and so then I go back to the salon, I do her hair and I'm like, I'll see you tomorrow. Right. She's like, hell yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. So at least she didn't fire me. And she's like, so I go, okay. So I go back to the salon. I am on cloud nine. I can't wait to tell all my, all my clients about it. I roll in. And when I walk in, there's Brian and Brian's standing at the front and it's Saturday and Brian doesn't work Saturdays. And Brian doesn't usually ever come in on Saturdays. And I'm like, yo, what's up, Brian? And he goes, um, he goes, yeah, I thought you had clients this morning. And I go, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Um, but I just was uh, doing something else. And he goes, well, what were you doing? And so I told him, I was like, oh, I just went up to Seattle and I just did Sandra Bernhardt's hair for her show. And he goes, well, did you move clients or cancel clients to do that? And I said, well, I moved some of them. Yeah, I, I rescheduled like, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so to later this afternoon. And he goes, okay. Well, I think if you're going to be, um, if you're going to be moving clients to do celebrities, this isn't probably the salon you should be working at. Maybe you should look for another, for another salon. And at that point I thought he was joking cause we fucked with each other a lot. And I was like, yo dude, what do you mean? And he goes, you can do your clients, finish your day out here today. But after today you will no longer be working here. And it was such a shock that out of nowhere, I mean, Honestly, when I look back at it, be honest with myself, I was kind of like starting to act like a little bit of an asshole and kind of like a spoiled brat. And uh, this was probably the last, the last straw. So, um, 
so anyway, I had to then, I, like my whole amazing Cloud9 experience was just like thrown down through the roof and I was just, I was so sad because this was my team, this was my family, fuck, my cousin worked there. And Brian was like my second father. He was like, he was my Obi-Wan and he had just like, felt like I just went to the dark side. And I was like, bro, um, you know, I, I want to make this right. And he's like, no, it's, it's, it's already been decided. So finish your day and, um, and you know, we'll just move on. That's just all, that's just what it is. And he left. So I was trying to do my clients that day and try to keep a straight face because I didn't really know what I was supposed to say to them at this point. And they were, just wanted to hear more about Sandra Bernhardt and all that stuff. Because at this time, you know, there was no Instagram. There was no hashtag BTS. Like, you didn't, you didn't know what happened behind closed doors of, like, you know, styling a celebrity. At least not in the outside, out, outside world in my foothills of Mount Rainier. We didn't know what, what went on like that. So my clients were all excited to hear about it. And um, I was trying to keep a straight face and, and not... Um, not be a total Debbie Downer after just knowing that I just got fired. So then that afternoon I went over to Brian's house and I knock on his door and I'm in tears and I'm like, dude, like this is my family and, and I just don't understand why this is happening. And he's like, you know why this is happening. And, and I did. And I was, you know, I was in the wrong and I was saying things I shouldn't have. And I thought I was like king shit on turd hill. And, um, you know, and it was just, it just sucked, man. It just really sucked. So Unfortunately, the next day I had to go back and do Sandra's hair again. I mean, not unfortunately, but still fortunately. Um, but she, I, uh, you know, the conversation arose and I had to tell her that because I did her hair, I kind of got fired. And she was like, what? And I go, yeah, so um, I kind of got fired for doing your hair yesterday and I don't really have a job anymore. And she goes, well, I know a hairdresser that is always looking for assistance, but you would have to move to New York. And I sort of went, okay. And she goes, yeah, I'm really good friends with Sally Hirschberger. And I'll just tell her about you and then you can move to New York and be her next assistant. And I was sort of like, yeah. And then like the pigs will fly and you know, the uh, Mount Rainier will explode and like, yeah, totally, totally gonna happen. And so I did her hair that day and we continued to laugh and have fun. And part of like my deal for doing her hair was I wanted to see her show because it was Valentine's Day. I thought that would be really cool to take my, uh, my girlfriend to. So it's Valentine's Day and we go to the show and I'm trying to be all happy. And she's on stage and she starts whipping her hair around and she goes, who the fuck likes my hair? Who likes my hair right now? And everyone starts cheering and I'm like, yeah. And then she goes, my hairdresser's actually here sitting out in the, sitting out in the audience. And, and I was like, oh my God, I just got a call out. And she, she's like, Matt, I love my hair, thank you. And don't worry about getting fired today because I'm gonna call my friend Sally Hershberger and she's gonna make you famous. And my girlfriend at the time kind of looks at me and gives me this crazy look, like A, I just got called out by a badass comedian that was on stage. B, I don't think I told her I'd lost my job yet. And um, C, I think there was like this, this weird ominous thing where like, yeah, I'll probably be moving to New York soon. I didn't tell you about that either, like possibly. Anyway, that was, that was, on, um, that was Valentine's Day. That was my first celebrity. It was a really crazy experience. It also, it also turned the trajectory of my career on such a, on such a different path due to the fact that I had to find another salon, um, you know, had to go through the, the whole, um, tell my clients like what had happened. And it was just like this uncomfortability thing. And, um, 
And so then a couple months later, I got a call on Mother's Day. So that was February to May. And I get a call on Mother's Day from Sally Hirschberger herself. And I remember being like sort of hungover and answering the phone. It was some crazy number. And I pick up my phone. I'm like, hello. And she's like, is this Matt? And I go, yeah, it's Matt. And she goes, hi, this is Sally Hirschberger. And I was like, fuck you. And I remember saying that and being like, wait. Is, and she just started laughing. And I went, wait, is this really Sally Hirschberger? And she goes, yeah, I'm having brunch with Sandra Bernhardt right now. And she was just telling me about you. And I was like, oh, shit, this is like, this could actually happen. And she and Sally was like, so I heard that, um, you know, uh, you might want to move to New York and I need a new assistant. And I went, um, yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, let's do it. And she goes, okay, well, I'm going to be in L.A. for two weeks and then I come back to New York. So maybe can you come meet me in New York or how can we, you know, she's like, I want to meet you. And I went, you know what, I can be in L.A. tomorrow. And she went, all right, I like, I like your vibe. She's like, I'll see you tomorrow in L.A. So I bought a ticket that day. I flew down to L.A., stayed with my buddy, who was also um, her assistant at the time as well, that I met, my buddy Mike. And so I stayed with him, and he vouched for me as well as she was just creating her new salon in L.A., so she, wasn't, she didn't have her big salon yet, so she was cutting out of Chris McMillan's salon, which was dope because he was like Jennifer Aniston's hairdresser and he was LA uh, hair royalty as well. So like just rubbing elbows with all those guys and the vibe was so cool and, and I just sat there with Sally and she's just kind of like, all right, I dig your vibe. Like, um, you know, summer's coming. She says she takes the summer off and she will be back in the salon in September. So I have just a few months to get my shit together and um, move to New York. And I said, fuck it, I'll be there. I'll be there in New York in September. And um, that basically was how I got my foot in the door to move to New York. So I sold my, I sold my condo. I said goodbye to all my clients. Um, and I had to tell like the new salon that I worked at, but they sort of knew, they sort of knew that it was like, like I was some, going somewhere else. And they were, they were such nice people at that other salon. And then also I rekindled my friendship with Brian. And actually it's still to this day, he... He always goes, if it wasn't me kicking your ass out of my salon, you would have never moved to New York City. And he's like, it's a good thing I fired your ass, Matt, or else you would have never moved. And it's just great when we have that banter. In fact, he's the one that just um, bleached my hair back out for this previous um, job I had to do. So he, so I was just, I just saw him, and things are great with him. And um, yeah, so we're actually, you know, still, still great friends, me and Brian. Um, so that brings me to in New York and my very first time I ever got press. So. This is kind of um, a little of me feeding my ego, but it was such an important part um, of my career because my first time I ever got a piece of press, meaning like my, my first time I was ever written about in a magazine, was in Us Weekly. And I was so proud of it. And I don't remember how, I, I mean, I had a friend that um, saw a hair tip that I did and wanted to write about it in Us Weekly because she was the beauty director or the beauty editor at Us Weekly. So Monique was like, yo, um, I'm going to write this thing up about you and, um, you know, and so I was like, sweet. She goes, yeah, it'll be out on newsstands in a couple weeks. And I was so excited. And I remember telling my mom and I'm like, mom, you're going to read about me in a magazine. I've like made it. I'm like doing good here in New York. I'm, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm like a real boy. I felt like Pinocchio. And so my mom goes down to Safeway, picks up the magazine that I'm in. And she flips to the beauty part and she goes, yeah, I don't, I don't see you. I don't, I don't see your name. And I went, what? 
and I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm in there, definitely. It's page, you know, 47 or whatever. And she goes, yeah, no, it says um, celebrity stylist Matthew James gives tips on how to get great curls or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm Matthew James. And she goes, well, yeah, you're Matthew James Gregory Fugit. Like, why does it say Matthew James? And I went, well, mom, I think that's going to be my new cool hair name. I think Matthew James just kind of sounds like more swaggery and it like rolls off the tongue better. And, and I'm going to be Matthew James now. And I'm going to be like cool cat. You know, I'm, I'm a New York hairdresser now. And she goes, no, no, I, th I think Matt Fugit's cool enough. And she, and she said, you know, honestly, you just need to be yourself. And that's it's one thing my mom's always said. She's always just like, why don't you just be yourself? And uh, I was like, oh, really? Like my first big moment of press and now I fucking made, didn't even write my name the right way. And she goes, yeah, I mean, Matthew James is all good and dandy, but Matt Fugit has such a stronger like backbone to it. And she goes, and honestly, if I didn't know you and I started reading Matt Fugit, Matt Fugit, Matt Fugit, that name is gonna stick around much more than Matthew James, Matthew James, Matthew James. She said, Matthew James is forgettable and I apologize if anyone listening to this is a Matthew James or knows a Matthew James. I think it's a fantastic name, but that was just what my mother said. I'm quoting my mother. And so um, from then on out, I was Matt Fugit, and I was really proud to be, to be Matt Fugit. And I think that sort of stemmed, you know, that stems from like daddy issues and like growing up in a small town where my grandfather and my father had like this mega name, the Fugit Ford name. And so I wanted to be Matthew James and make my own name where instead... Um, I was finally proud to be, to be Matt Fugit. And, um, so the press thing was awesome because when, when all of the press stuff started happening and, and, um, my name, Matt Fugit was being, was being seen more and I started getting more and more press, um, that kind of led me to my first spokesperson job. So there was, um, Cosmo wrote an article about the 10 best, no, the 10 sexiest hair hairdressers in America. And this is not to be confused with the 10 sexiest hairdressers. This isn't about me being sexy. This was about when I did hair, the hair I did was very sexy. And every time I used to get on stage and, and do things um, and, and do uh, classes, I'd always be introduced as the sexiest hairdresser in America. And I was like, bro, it's, it's, it's not what I, that's not what the award was. And I actually take more pride in the fact that I did really sexy hair. And of course, it's such a Cosmo um, award sexy hair hairdresser. But anyway, because I was listed as one of the top 10 in America, I was then reached out to by Dove and Dove was the very first company that sponsored me. And they had this huge new product they were launching, you know, this, um, this line of products. And I was to be like the face of their product. And the first thing was to go to Sundance and do this big thing and then do this thing in Chicago and then travel this, travel the country and do this whole, um, like road show with them. And so when they reached out to me, they were like, yeah, put us in touch with your agent and we can get negotiations started. And at that time, I was just pounding hair in Sally's salon and just trying to do the best I could every day in the hair salon. I didn't have an agent. I wasn't working freelance. I wasn't really doing celebrities. And so across the um, hallway, actually in the building down in the meatpacking district, there was an agency that represented hair and makeup artists and it was called The Wall Group. So I walked in there with this opportunity and I was like, yo, I've been reached out to by this company. I don't know how to work this deal. Can you guys help me? And um, the girl at the time, the agent that I walked into, she used to come into Sally all the time and we'd blow her hair out. And she was the nicest girl. 
and she just goes, not only will I help you with, um, not only will I help you work this deal, I just want to sign you. I just want to represent you as an artist. And I was so pumped and I was like, holy shit. Okay. Now I'm getting represented. And now, and she, and I said, well, I don't do a lot of celebrities and I don't do a lot of stuff like that. And she goes, don't worry. We'll work, we'll work on all that. She goes, I've seen you do hair. She goes, I know like what you can do. And I, I have faith in you. I think I can build you. And that was like such a cool moment to have someone just out of nowhere kind of be like, yeah, I would love to take you on. And, um, and that was my first agent. So that was my first agent and my first spokesperson job. And the, um, and it was such a weird thing being a spokesperson because it was so out of my realm where all I knew how to do was just slam hair and just like rock and roll and blow out hair and cut hair and be in there, like, you know, get in there and, and do hair. And when I showed up at Sundance, Dove had this huge gifting suite along with like Sorel and, you know, a tequila company and a boot company and like a, and probably like a, I don't know, Canada Goose and like all these different um, big Sundancey type of um, gifting suites where the celebrities would come in and usually what the celebrities would do is they would like take you know a jacket and a pair of boots and then they donate it to like the homeless or something it was really cool um if they didn't keep it for themselves but most of them always donated their their gifting stuff their swag as we call it to charity and it was the first time that when i showed up there they had this badass little pop-up salon and they also had this men's salon for the dove men team and as people would come in I was like, okay, where do I set up? What do I need to do? And they went, oh no, no, you don't, uh, you don't need to do hair. And I went, what do you, what do you mean I don't need to do hair? And then they go, no, no, you're our spokesperson. You were just here to like shake hands, smooth, take pictures with the celebrities, and um, you know. And that was, and I was just like, okay, this is so weird. And I remember Mario Lopez came in with his wife and I cut his wife's bangs and she had like this long, beautiful hair. And I was like, you should have bangs. And he was like, let's do it. And I remember that. But the, um, the, the Sundance thing was so much fun because I had never like been flown out, been put up and had a little guy sitting there with like a board when I got off the plane and he got my name. It's like Fugit, not Matthew James. It actually said Matt Fugit. <laughs> and so, um, and what was so great is I had a lot of friends that were actually going to Sundance just to party. So once I was done working, um, the Seahawks were playing and I'll never forget this story because I thought it was so, it was so great to be like, if I, when I put my mind to something, I'm going to get it. So after I was done working, the Seahawks were playing and, and at Sundance, they have all these big ass nightclubs that come just for pop-ups. So basically they, they just, in a, in a parking lot, they put up a mega tent and they put a stage and they put all these like booths and they turn it into a nightclub. So Tao was the nightclub at that time. And, um, and so all of my buddies were at Tao, they had their table and they had their, um, their whole like setup. And once I was done working, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get in the Tao. So I thought I could walk right to the front of the line and be like, yo, I'm with, you know, my buddy Ben. And they were like, nah, we're at capacity. So <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, dude, I know. But like my whole, like my, all my friends are in there. I'm the only one like obviously you're probably at capacity, but I'm just like one dude, you know? So I should, shouldn't be that big of a deal. And he was like, nah, bro, we're at capacity. Like you, you ain't coming in. And I got so pissed and I was already a little tipsy and it was cold and it was snowy. And I just walked down the fucking street Sundance. And I was like, dude, honestly, man, like, come on, you gotta be able to like, get me in here. This is, this is some bullshit. And so I call my buddy, he comes out front and he's like, yo dude, we got a big ass table in there. Like, there's room for him at the table. And this bouncer was like, no, we're at capacity. I'm really sorry. Like he should have showed up with your whole team. And then I try to get like, 
I tried to like get on his level and I was like, dude, look, I was work, I've been working. Like I've worked the last four days up here. Like I'm not here celebrating, I'm not here partying. Like I, I was actually working Sundance just like you, man. Like, can you cut me a break? I just got off work. And he was like, no, no, dude, sorry. So I was like, this motherfucker. And so the towel party was sponsored by McDonald's. And my really good friend <laughs> was the publicist for McDonald's. So I'm like, you know what? Let me try something else. So I hit up my friend and I'm like, yo, they won't let me into your damn party. And she starts laughing. She's like, so she comes out and she's like, hey, you know, um, I'm running the whole McDonald's thing in there. It's fine. He can come in. And the bouncer's like, no, this dude ain't getting in. And maybe I said something to him. You know, maybe I just did something stupid where I just probably tried to like walk in at the beginning and just like own the place and tried to like fake it till you make it. Yeah, you want like fuck me curls, bro. And he was like, nah, I don't want fuck me curls, bro. And so anyway, um, so she couldn't get me in. And then she was like, hold on, meet me around the back. So we go around the back of the place and she comes out and we go into like the storage room to where all the um, McDonald's stuff is being stored. Not like the food, but like all the, all the waiters in there had to wear like McCafe shirts and like these long black shirts that were all branded by McDonald's, right? And she goes, all right, how about this? How about you put on this shirt and then just like walk in like you're working here? And I was like, hell yes, I'll put on this shirt and walk in like I'm working there. So I threw this Mick Cafe shirt over my Seahawks jersey and I walk straight in the back door with her and she kind of like pisses off because she doesn't want to be seen with me in case something happens. And I walk up, grab like two things of chicken nuggets and I was like, sweet. So then I walk out to the table, find my friends, drop these chicken nuggets down on the table with my Mick Cafe shirt on. And I was just like, dinner is served, bitches. And they were all laughing so hard. The fact that like I somehow snuggled, smuggled my life into this big ass party to see my Seahawks win. And they did win that game. I don't think that was the year they won the, the Super Bowl, but... Um, Dude, that was like one of those moments when I was just unrelentless. I'm like, I am getting in to this party. And I think I still have that McDonald's shirt. I tell Ben that every time I see him. And I'm just like, dude. And he's like, bro, that was legendary, bro. Like you were like, that was legendary, bro. And, and so another tip for any of you guys, if you, um, you know, if you uh, can't beat them, join them. So just join the staff at Mickey D's and get that McCafe shirt on and just roll into the party. You know, get some nuggets and uh, do your thing. So that was, that was definitely um, one of my favorite first. That spokesperson that whole weekend along with that memory. Um, that was really, really fun. Um, on more personal, and I'll end you guys with a couple personal ones. So uh, the first day I met Laura, that's a big one in my life. Um, I was doing my best friend's hair at the time, Claire. And Claire was like my partner in crime. She was like my, like me and her would just paint the town in New York. And so I was doing Claire's hair Saturday night. She's getting ready to go out with the girls. And she asked me, she's like, Matt, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to come out with me and a bunch of hot Australian girls? And I went, yeah, I get off at around like 10 or whatever. And I'll come meet you guys. She's like, cool. We'll be at the, um, the hotel on Rivington and, you know, just come, just come like hang out and we'll, you know, I'm going to be with a bunch of hot Australian girls. And I went, hell yes. So then I told my buddy, Justin, who was an, who is a uh, colorist at the salon that I worked at. And I was like, bro, let's go hang out with some hot chicks tonight. And he's like, dude, I'm always down. So uh, we get off work. We go down. We got to like, you know, we're two dudes. We got to stand in line. Luckily, Claire's hot. 
So she comes out and is like, yo, these guys are with us. And of course, in very New York fashion, the bouncers, I mean, no, I was never very good with bouncers. The bouncers are like, all right, if we let these guys in, they've got to instantly put down like a $300 bar tab. Like they have to open a $300 bar tab instantly. And so Claire was like, fuck that, that's ridiculous. They're already with me, And I'm like, listen, like I know how much I drink. I know how much Justin drinks. How many girls are in there with you? And she's like, four, I think. And I went, you know, 300 bucks in, a, in the Rivington Hotel is probably, it's, it's gonna go fast. I'm like, let's just open the tab. The girls can pay me or whatever. Like, what's the difference? And plus I wanted to be like all cool. And like, you know, even though me and Claire knew each other for years, I didn't need to impress her. But, um, you know, impress these other girls. Be like, oh, Matt's got the tab. Go, go pay, go, just put it on Matt's tab. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that, you guys. Oh my God. So this night, we're all dancing, partying, having this great time. Um, and then I spot this girl like dancing in Claire's little crew of chicks. You know, after I figured out how to set up this bar tab, I'm like, I need to go dance, hang out, have some fun. And I see this girl, this tall blonde chick with these piercing, piercing blue eyes. And I'm like, who is that? And Claire's like, oh, that's Laura. She's new. She like just moved to New York from Sydney. And, um, I don't know why I went cogni right there, but anyway, um, and so I was like, okay. So I went up to, I just like beeline to this Laura. And I was like, hello. And she's like, hello. And she's like, oh, are you Claire's hairdresser? And I was like, yeah, that's right. She's heard about me already. I like this. And I went, yep. And she goes, oh, hey. And so Claire had already told her friends that her hairdresser and this other guy are going to come meet them later that night, right? Because they had already been partying for hours. So... I guess in Laura's eyes, Claire's hairdresser and this other guy didn't mean to her what it meant in reality like to me because I rolled in and just thought that I was like hitting on Laura, but I think Laura thought that she had just gotten the, her new gay best friend. And so we're like dancing and doing this whole thing and I'm thinking I'm being flirty. She just thinks I'm like, I don't know, flamboyant or something. Maybe because I'm such a great dancer that she's like, there's no way this guy can be straight. He's such a good dancer. <laughs> and anyway, you know, two o'clock closing time, three o'clock rolls around and I go in for the kiss and the look on her face was just absolutely hilarious because she, I mean, she basically thought that she had turned a, a, um, a gay guy straight or something. I don't know what she thought, but she ran over to Claire and was like, Claire, your hairdresser just tried to kiss me. And she goes... Yeah, Matt, he'll probably, he'll probably do that. And Laura's like, I thought he was with Justin. And Justin's like over, like kissing on some girl over at the other side of the bar or something. And, and Justin's like a dude, like he's like obviously a bro. And I thought I was pretty, pretty, um, pretty hard. I, I didn't think it was hard to paint the picture about me either, but I guess it was. But Claire was like, no, Matt's straight. Are you kidding? And so Laura was like, oh. Oh my God, we've been dancing all night. It was just hilarious. So then I was like, oh, like what the hell? And so then she like walked back over to me. I'm pretty sure she kissed me back or something. Then I get gets, gets, um, hazy after that. But um, nonetheless, I married her and we had a baby and um, the rest is current events. But that first night, I can't wait to tell our grandchildren that, um, that mommy had the wrong impression on, on daddy there for a minute. But daddy taught mommy, that's for sure, taught mommy what was up. And so, um, 
And the last one I'll leave you with, guys, thank you for listening. My last little first that I think is very important. And, um, and it also, if you've listened to me this far, hopefully you want to continue listening so I can start getting a little bit more realistic with you guys. So my first day in rehab. So I, um, I am an alcoholic and drug addict in recovery. And I in, I've now been clean and sober for five years. And um, I made the decision to go to rehab in early, I don't know, five years ago, whatever it was. It was, it was definitely after New Year's. It was in February. Um, I actually had my, um, I had like a spiritual thing happen to me I could probably get into later. But nonetheless, I made the decision that I wanted to clean my life up in the, um, in the recovery community, we have this saying called, you were just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's what I was. I was, I was tired that I'd lost control of my life. I was just sick all the time. Um, it, was, it was just everything that I, everything I had built in my career was starting to crumble. Um, it was no longer one step forward, two steps back. It was now just backpedaling. And all of my friends and loved ones and um, the people around me were so concerned and they just didn't understand why I was so self-sabotaging. And um, so, yeah, so I decided I needed to clean my life up and get away. So I went to rehab in Palm Springs, this little place called Michael's House. It wasn't the, um, the big Betty Ford clinic, but I did know I wanted to go in Palm Springs, so I was close to my parents. And, you know, my, I'm so fortunate to have the parents that I have, and they are, um, they are just so loving, and I knew that I would have their support. And I knew my mom wanted her baby boy back because I was not that person anymore. And my first day in rehab, um, you know, my parents dropped me off. It was, it was very much, you know, definitely wasn't a high point in the career like all these other, all these other things I've been telling you guys about. But regardless, it's um, almost more important. So things I learned on just that first day that I'm still trying to figure out to this day too, and I'm going to get um, a couple of my psychologist friends on this show so I can like, just hash it out with them right in front of you guys. But when I walked into rehab, um, there was, you know, tons of guys, 30, 40, 50 guys, right? And it was lunchtime and they give you the tour and you walk in with your mom and your dad and it looks like your first day at kindergarten and you walk over to your cubby and this is where you hang up your coat and this is where you put your, your lunch box and like here's playtime and over here's the crayons and there's nothing sharp because you're probably going to kill yourself in there. And so, um, that was a bad joke. I shouldn't have said that. But um, anyway, you can't have anything sharp. So you, you get shown around and then my mom and dad leave and it's like, okay, here I am. I've got 30 days to like figure out what is going on. And so I look around and everyone's eating lunch and they're all, you know, everyone's got their little, their little clicks like you do anywhere. It was like, it was just like high school all over again. So I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, those dudes are obviously like the bankers. And I'm like, okay, there's like, those dudes are like a little bit too, too sketchy for me. They look like they're like the bank robber guys. And then, and I'm like, oh, cool. Here's like my crew. Here's like my crew over here. And it's like, you know, the, the kid with like the sideways bulls hat and the other kids like in his Laker jersey. And I'm just like, all right, sweet. Like here, I've, here's like my people. And it's instantly where I thought I fit in. Like this was my putting my, my like square peg in the square hole. Like I was like, okay, boom, here are my people. So I come and I sit down with like my food. And I'm like, yo guys, what's up? I'm Matt. And they all look at me like, what the hell? And I didn't understand why. I was like, what's up? And they're like, bro, uh, what's up, man? And they start talking 
And I don't realize that these kids are all 17 years old and I'm 32. And I like looking around that room, that's who I thought I was. And it was such a big epiphany to me that like I still thought I was a 17, 18 year old kid and I had not grown up yet. And that probably was like, you know, obviously hashing things out with my therapist and stuff. That was probably the biggest part of just like my drug abuse was like, I just thought I was, I, I still thought I was the same age I was when I was in my car accident. And I didn't, and I thought that time stood still and everything else is just bonus round from here on out. And just sitting there. And then when I looked over to the table of the other guys who I thought were like old banker dudes or like these are guys that could probably own companies or these are dudes that are like, they probably have like wives and kids. I was still older than all of them. And I, and they were all like 28, 29. And I was, and I, and it was, I still, it's still hard for me to fathom. Like even with like now being a father, it's still weird to think that like I've grown up and I, because I haven't felt like I really have. Um, and just sitting there that first day when I had to like get up and like pull my tail between my legs and they were like, they were kind of like, shoe old man, like bro, the retirement village is over there. Like go sit with those dudes. And so I went over and like sat with these other guys and I remember seeing my really good friend, uh, I don't want to use names, but um, one of my really great friends still to this day, and like, I thought he was at least 10 years older than me, and he's like, yo, I'm like 30, and I'm like, yo, I'm 32, and like, what the hell, like, what is my, I, I, it was like an almost inverse, reverse, like, tuck everlasting body dysmorphia that like, I for some reason thought that I was just like, immortally 18 years old, and um but that was my first day in rehab. That was like the, the weirdest thing. And I still tell that story to people because it's like sometimes, you know, everyone's like, find your tribe or find your crew. And, you know, now that me and Laura have moved to L.A., I have this like hiccup of trying to figure out who who my tribe is. I'm like, because obviously I've, I've got bad, uh, I've got bad tribe picking skills. That's for sure. But um, anyway... Those are some of my firsts, and those are some of my most important firsts, I think. I mean, there's definitely others. My, um, my first marriage, which was to Laura, we got married twice, <laughs> I could talk about. But I think I've gone long enough with this one, and I really hope you guys have a little bit more insight on who I am and how I got to where I am. Um, and I hope the, uh, the little updo trick is great for you. Remember, make your bubbles. Make your bubbles, make your bubbles, make your bubbles, and do whatever you want with your bubbles. They're your fucking bubbles. So... Enjoy the bubbles, you guys. Enjoy the day. I hope you enjoyed my second podcast all about all of my firsts, and I hope to see you in the third episode. And I will leave you at that. Remember, have an awesome, awesome day. And um, yeah, follow me on all socials. Do all that kind of stuff. But um, other than that, just um, always have a dad hair day. I'll see you guys in the next one.